Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into our message today. Last week, uh, we kind of jumped ahead in our journey through the Bible, uh, and we read about the completion of the second temple that was built in in Ezra chapter 5 and in Ezra chapter 6. We jumped ahead, uh, but we read the first little section of the book of Zechariah. Um, In Zechariah 1, it dealt specifically with those returning exiles uh, rebuilding the temple at that moment. So we we read that, and then we we shifted over to Ezra chapter 5 and 6 and finished finish that up. What happens in the rest of Zechariah uh, in that book is showing the builders the greater glory that was to fill that temple as prophesied by the other prophet of the time, Haggai. We, we had gone through that a few weeks ago. And so the rest of Zechariah deals with that. Part of the point of the message last week was to show God's faithfulness to complete what he started and tie that with the builder's faithfulness to stick with God and to complete the work. And, and you know, we kind of question ourselves, are we faithful to complete? We know the Lord's faithful to bring stuff to completion, but are we faithful? Will we stick with God and and get the work done? Uh, However, where we left off at the end of Ezra chapter 6 and then going into the beginning of Ezra chapter 7, there's like a gap of 50 plus years there. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's a big old gap between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. It covers the rest concerning the Persian Empire. It covers the rest of Darius's reign, which is who we've been talking about. He's, he's been the king so far. Um, and then you've got Xerxes, which comes to power, his son. And then his son Artaxerxes comes to power. So you've got, you know, like two... Two and a half kings going on here in, in that gap. Within the Bible, we still have the rest of Zechariah to go through, and the book of Esther, technically, is within, is within that time frame. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus from the book of Ezra, and we're going to continue to look at the book of Zechariah, and then we'll get into the book of Esther. Uh, hopefully some of you are looking forward to that. That's, that's one of those favorite books amongst a lot of people, so so we'll be we'll be doing that. We'll try to get a little creative for you and and, and have some fun uh, talking about the Book of Esther. It's a great story. Uh, but before we get into that, we're we're going to look at Zechariah and spend a few weeks there. Um, so, uh, we're, like I said, we'll head back to Zechariah. Uh, so he gave you know he gives an oracle similar to what Haggai gave uh, to the people who are rebuilding the temple, and it's pretty much. Get the job done. You know, don't don't be like your your forefathers who sinned and didn't do anything I told them to do. They were disobedient, um, and so he gives that oracle. And then about three months later, he goes to bed and has like these eight crazy vivid dreams, very powerful dreams, just like one after the other. It it, it was. I couldn't imagine it for Zechariah. Poor guy, he's like, oh man, I'm so glad I'm working for the Lord and helping these people rebuild the temple. Then he goes to sleep, and then he's like, what was that all about? And uh, he has these these eight different dreams just 
kind of coming off, you know, real quick. I don't know if if he got like an extra because what does it take like ninety minutes for us to get into REM sleep before you can even start dreaming? Um, I don't know if he slept for a long time that night or or if the Lord just supernaturally said, "Here's the deal: you're just going to be in REM sleep for like all night, and I'm just going to keep pinging these at you uh, as as you're sleeping." But he gets eight. Uh, eight dreams right in a row. Now, in the Bible, they're written linear in linear fashion, and they do tie together. Um, and so when you start at chapter 1, verse 7, and go all the way through the middle of chapter 6, you get these eight dreams. Uh, but today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these dreams. You won't read them word for word, so don't freak out. Oh, my goodness, we're going to be sitting here reading for all day. It's, it's going to be great nap time, Pastor Dave. It's not what we're going to do. <laughs> We're going to kind of take it, though, instead of looking at it in a linear fashion, we're going to fold them right in the middle and kind of make it like, you know, some of you might be into, you know, March Madness and the tournament. We're going to make it kind of look like a bracket almost. Um, I couldn't do it on the screens because I didn't have enough space to make it look cool. But anyways, if you if you were to take these dreams and fold them and get dream one, it'll correlate with dream number eight. Dream number two correlates with dream seven, dream three with six, and then four with five. They, they kind of connect with each other, even though at the same time, as crazy as it sounds, they make perfectly good sense if you go interlinear. So I just wanted to make it a little bit different, and we're going to fold these dreams, like I said, kind of in half here, and we'll do one and eight, two and seven, three and six, four and five. And then we'll, we'll go through them kind of quickly here and kind of just talk about them and what they are and what they meant. Some of them, uh, all of them have to do, of course, with the people in, in Israel, rebuilding, uh, rebuilding the temple, but they also have to do with us. Some of them are, their, most of it is their future, some of it is their past, um, and some of it is, is our past, while a little bit of it is actually our future, even, as, as, we, as you look at these various dreams. So, Hezekiah, or Hezekiah sorry, Zechariah lays down, goes to sleep, and starts having these dreams, and the first aspect of the dream is an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord appearing amongst myrtle trees. Now, myrtle trees are like a fir tree. It's kind of like a pine tree. Um, I, I couldn't find one. I, I, I didn't take the time to find one, so sorry I can't show you one. But um, there's this myrtle tree, and the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, the angel of the Lord, most scholars believe, is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, of course, born uh, in, you know, whenever he was born, splitting time in half. And a lot of people believe whenever you see the angel of the Lord show up in the Old Testament, that's him. That's Jesus Christ showing up and saying, okay, here's the deal we're going to talk. Because people dealt with the angel of the Lord much differently than other angels. They, there's, there's actually acts of worship to the angel of the Lord. So most people are like, well, he's got to be in some form or shape. God, because most angels weren't stupid enough to say, yes, keep bowing to me. Please do that, because they knew God was going to be like, are you kidding me? You're out. So so the angel of the Lord is, is possibly Christ, but he is with he is with Zechariah throughout these dreams to kind of explain, here's what's going on. And he actually participates and actually talks with the Father while these dreams are going on. So let's let's go ahead and look at these things. Dream number one 
is found in chapter 1, verses 7 through 17 of the book of Zechariah. It contains four horsemen. Two of them are red. One is kind of a spotty yellow, uh, and and another one is white. Uh, There's no solid agreement on the meaning of the colors. Nobody really knows what they mean uh, because they're nothing like the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation. They're just just there. You can can say what you want, but there is no indication given of of what those exactly mean um, where it's solidly conclusive. It could be the ranking of angels, could be having to do with future stuff. But anyways, the, the main job of these four particular horsemen are to patrol the earth and report to the Lord what's going on. And at this particular time, these four horsemen, they, they go out, they come back in, and they talk to the Lord, and they say, everything's, everything's at rest. Not everything is good, but everything is at rest. There's, there's nothing going on. And, and physically, if you look in Persian you know, Medo-Persian Empire history, you look at biblical history, that, that, is, that is the truth. Nothing's going on. The, the Persian Empire has taken over. Babylon is done. It's gone. There's no more Babylonians that are kings or anything. Darius has been reigning for a few years now. You know, this is the second year of his reign. You know, before him was Cyrus the Great, and everything was going well. Everything is at rest. Everything is, is done. It's, it's at peace. And so... It, this is this is what it is. The Persians have control, and nothing serious is going on as you look throughout Persian and even biblical history. Then the angel of the Lord asked God, how long will he continue to not show mercy to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? So the angel of the Lord comes up to God and says, listen, God, how much longer are you going to kind of let Jerusalem and Judah just kind of sit there in waste. You know, you've, you've done this for, for 70 years now. You, you've, you're coming close to that 70-year mark. How much longer will you not show mercy to them? Which God responds that he is jealous for Jerusalem and he's actually angry at the nations who are at rest right now because they furthered Judah's disaster when God was punishing them in the first place. He, he kind of says, listen, we, we don't have a lot of details, but, but God knows the heart of man. And so he told, he's, he's saying to Zechariah, listen, these other nations were doing some stuff behind the scenes that you may not have seen, and they were furthering the disaster of Jerusalem. And that's, that's, that's not what's, what was supposed to happen. So he's actually angry with these other nations. However, the people, the exiles, have returned, and to Jerusalem, not all of them, about 50,000 of them if you've been with us, but the people have returned, and Jerusalem is being rebuilt and will be overflowing with prosperity soon enough. Is pretty much what God says. It's going to happen don't worry about it. So you got dream number one. Dream number eight, that's found in chapter six, verses one through eight. Again, we're folding them. We're not going to go in the linear pattern as they're written in the Bible. Dream number eight is found in chapter six, verses one through eight. Again, four horsemen show up, different colors this time, not the same colors, and they have chariots now. It's like, okay, well, we don't have to ride on the back of a horse. We'll ride in a chariot. Great, thanks. That, that, that probably helps. I don't know what it is. But it, because it's the end of the dream, what the four horsemen do now is they scatter to the four winds of the earth, which pretty much means they're going throughout the earth, going back on their patrol, if you would, um, based on what they were doing in, in chapter one here in that first part. Now, it says specifically for the one to the north, the one that heads north, well, by golly, he's going to go in peace. So the Lord is kind of saying, hey, listen, here's the deal. There's going to be a time of peace in this area. You're going to be able to get the temple built. Everything is going to work out pretty well right now. 
we're going to get things reestablished here because I'm sending these four horsemen back out and you're not going to have those enemies from the north anymore, which is what Babylon was always considered uh, in, the, in the books of prophecy. Their, their enemies were always coming from the north. So you have that. Um, like I said, the, the one heading to the north is that peace. It's signified even when we look back at, uh, at Ezra and Darius approves the rebuilding of the temple. So those are dreams number one and dream number eight. Dreams number two and seven deal with Israel's past sins. Is, uh, dream number two is found in chapter one, verses 18 through 21, showing four horns. Uh, they represented Assyria and Babylon. Uh, they, of course, originally scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then they kind of come under the power of some blacksmiths. Those blacksmiths are symbolized are symbolizing uh, the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and these blacksmiths come in and they terrify and overcome the horns, which they've terrified and overcome Assyria and Babylon. So dream number two, we've we've got these folks, they, they you know, uh, Assyria and Babylon came on, started to started the punishment process that God had established. Uh, Assyria first with the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you've got Babylon that came in and took out the rest of it and Judah and everything. But then even them, they would be taken over by these blacksmiths, which again is the Medo-Persian Empire. And then dream number seven in uh, chapter five, verses five through 11, this is the one that gets kind of goofy on us. This is first, it shows a woman in a basket. I mean... God is all creative. I, I never would have thought of, hey, you know what? I'm going to show something very symbolic. Here's a woman in a basket. <laughs> it's like, what is that all about? <laughs> so God is very kind to kind of explain what it is, even though I won't lie to you, as I'm reading this and I, I've read in the commentaries and all that stuff, I'm still kind of like, honestly, Lord, that's still kind of weird. But uh, it, you're God, and we'll just let you do your thing, and we'll, we'll make this happen. The basket represented the iniquity of the people, the actual sins of the people, the, the things that they did to separate themselves from God, the things that they did that caused Assyria and Babylon to come in and to, to, to exile them, to, to kind of take them out, both, both, both sides of the nation. And then the woman specifically, with a capital W, represented wickedness. And he, he literally names her. This is wickedness. The woman is wickedness. And so you've got the iniquity, you have the wickedness, and she's she's in that basket, and then two more women show up with stork wings, with wings of a stork is, is, is what the Bible says, and they pick up each side of the basket, and they fly the woman in the basket to Babylon. Now, it doesn't say Babylon. It's, it's another name for Babylon, but they pick her up, and they fly her to Babylon. Again, something kind of goofy, something kind of weird, but it's kind of showing, listen, the wickedness and the, the sins and the things that were going on here were taken away to Babylon, you know, specifically once Babylon came over. So, so we've got that person, and they're gone. So all your sins, all your iniquity, at that time when I punished you, when I, when I came, had Babylon come in, boom, we put all of that over there, and it's, it's all said and done. So dreams 2 and 7, dealing with Israel's past sins, and uh, that's, that's what's going on. So again, they, they've taken it. It's, it's flown away. So dreams 3 and 6 deal with the new Jerusalem. And listen, it's, it's kind of two parts here because right at the moment, Jerusalem is in utter ruins. So it's the new Jerusalem for the current exiles. And it's also, as you read through these visions, holy cow, it's, it's also our 
New Jerusalem that we read of later in the book of of Revelation. Dream number three is found in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It's actually the entirety of the chapter. Uh, And part of the reason for this seeming to be a prophecy of the New Jerusalem in Revelation can be found in verses 10 through 12. In verse 10, it says this, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. So that whole idea of all these nations coming to Jerusalem, technically, again, it's their future and we can see that happening in the book of Acts. You know, once Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven. In the book of Acts, you have the outpouring of the Spirit and all of a sudden, like that's like the central hub for the Christian church really is in Jerusalem with James, the brother of Jesus, being in charge of, of the church at the time. So to an aspect, there's that. But then we also can see that aspect if we were to jump into the book of Revelation of the new Jerusalem, because every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation will gather to worship God at some point. So it's kind of dealing with both, uh, with both quote unquote new Jerusalems. And then verse number, or dream number six, found in chapter five, verses one through four, it shows a flying scroll. And as it flies over the city of Jerusalem, it's like taking out thieves and liars. <laughs> it's like the liar. Okay. You're out thief. You're out. Oh, you're stealing over there. You're out. You're, you're, you're telling a deceptive truth. You're selling something deceptive. You're out and starts pulling these people out of the city and being like, hey, listen, here's the deal. I'm purifying this city. And he comes out and God is pretty much saying, listen, we're taking away anything that would not be the truth, anything that would be a lie, anything that people would want to steal. We're going to, we're going to take those folks out. It's, it's very similar to when Jesus tells us to store our treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, moth nor rust destroys and thieves don't steal. So you see this futuristic looking thing and, and, and God really cleansing uh, the, the entirety of the nation and, and, and making this happen. And then finally, we get to dreams four and five in our little fold here. They're at the tail end of our fold. Dreams number four and five, and that dealt with the current leadership of the time. Dream number four in chapter three, verses one through 10, speaks directly to Joshua, the high priest. He is wearing dirty clothes, and the angel of the Lord instructs other angels to come remove the dirty clothes and put on clean priestly garments, representing the forgiveness of sins and cleansing specifically of the priesthood. And he is then promised, Joshua specifically is then promised, if he obeys the Lord, he will have charge of the temple. The Lord says, listen, if if you continue to follow me and you do all that I've called you to do and, and you do those things, you will be in charge of my house. You will be in charge of this place. You will represent me. And you will, you know, you will represent me to the people and you will represent the people to me because that's what the priest did. And 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 this is how it's gonna work. You just need to follow me. You just need to obey me. Then the Lord tells uh Then the Lord tells Zechariah that the sign of this happening is sending the Lord's servant. And you were introduced to this person called the branch, which is a capitalized B. The branch will come. um, And and the branch, which of course is representative of Jesus Christ. And there is a promise of removing iniquity within one day. Within one day, I'm going to use this branch to remove all the iniquity 
in this city, in this, in this area. And of course, what would that represent? None other than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as his blood shed. And it was covering over the sins of all the people, actually not just in Jerusalem, but around the entire world. So you see this in, in, in verse or in dream number four, uh, in chapter five there, you, you've got, you've got all of them. You've, you've got the priestly idea, the spiritual idea, uh, the biblical, you know, the, the, the religious kind of aspect of the cleansing of the priesthood and those kinds of things. And then finally you get to dream number number five, in chapter four, verses one through 13. Now first, uh, it shows uh, Zechariah, he's got two olive trees. Two olive trees are, are sitting there, and they're pouring oil into this lamp that never like fills to the, to the brim. It's just constantly flowing with olive oil, and then there's seven lamp heads uh, that, that are being lit. And so there's, there's constant oil coming from the two olive trees, and it's constantly filling this. And, and those seven lamps, God says, are, are his, his seven eyes covering the earth, seeing everything that's going on. So it's, 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 it's kind of an anointing kind of thing and him working throughout the entire earth. Very, very vivid imagery, of course, that's here. Now, uh, again, those seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord watching over the entire earth. But then the two olive trees, as far as most scholars are concerned, they represented Joshua the priest and Zerubbabel the governor because God had appointed those two and he said, they are my anointed ones right at the moment. So they were the anointed ones at the time who are in charge. Um, so, uh, so you have this, you have this whole thing going on. But then after the vision, it's it's kind of broken up. He 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 sees the two olive trees and 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 the lamp, and then it's explained to him. But then right in the middle of this, it's it's a word that's actually meant to encourage and show that God has given Zerubbabel authority to lead during this time of rebuilding, and nothing's going to stop him. Is pretty much what God is saying here. Listen, I've blessed you, and you're in charge, and nothing's going to happen. It's it. This is going to be accomplished. It's 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 going it's it's going to work. Um, now we would be remiss to ignore what might be the most popular verse in the entire book that most people know, and that's in chapter four, verse six. So right in the middle of this is where we get that verse: "Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit." says the Lord of hosts. Now, you read that, and in the English language, you might think that might and power seem like synonyms. Aren't those the same kind of things? Who, who really cares? But, but concerning the context of this, the rebuilding of the temple, they actually have different meanings. Might would be the physical prowess, the physical ability to actually do the job. To, to build that temple, to make that happen, the, the actual physical aspect of it. The power would be the authority to lead and instruct how the building should go. You know, we're going to build this, we're going to have the physical aspect of being able to build it, but the power, the authority to say, hey, that brick needs to go there, that, you know, that needs to go there, make sure that this is level, this is kind of the blueprint of how it's supposed to be, this is the foundation, we got to follow, you know, you have to have someone in charge of, of, of doing that. I remember when we lived in California, we had... Uh, uh, fundraiser for the youth ministry, and that fundraiser was selling fireworks for people to to blow themselves up and and be happy at the Fourth of July. And so they had two booths. I mean, they brought in 
I, I want to say they brought in like 12 grand off of this, this, this fundraiser. And so we, there's, there was myself as the youth pastor. And then we had this other guy. He's a great guy, but uh, he, um, Howard was his name and he was the head of the men's ministry. And he's like, all right, Dave, I've, I've got this all set. We're going to get a bunch of the guys together and we set up and we build the, the fireworks booth so that you can sell them. It's like, great, that's awesome. And he gives me all the warnings. Listen, there's no air conditioning, and it gets very hot, and it's, it's not going to be fun. But, but hey, we're, we're going to get the job done. Sounds good. So, so we all get together, and, and everything's happening. And we get to the, the place where these booths are because they're just they're big old wood panels and stuff that, that you're building. And he's grabbing it. And as we're starting, he's like, Dave, have, have you done the most important thing yet? And I was like, what? He's like, have you placed someone like in charge? And I said, no, I, I, I guess it's either you or me, uh, but I guess I would give it to you because, well, you're, you're kind of in charge. He's like, okay, fine. I guess I'll take it. He's like, you know why you have to do that, right, Pastor Dave? And I was like, well, yes, that you have order and, and all that. So, no, 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 no. It's so that you have someone to blame when it all goes wrong. That's the, that's the only reason you need to find the authority to do that. The person in charge so that everybody can blame that person when it all, you know, hits the fan and you're, you're done. And you can't do that. And then, 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 of course, I said, well, then it's definitely you. You, you get to be in charge then, and that's how it works. But, but so when, when you see that word power within that, the might and the power, it's not by might nor by power. It's not just by your physical strength. It's not by the authority that you have just because you have a title with you, but it is by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God who will complete that. The Lord is saying again that the rebuilding of the temple is not about the physical ability or knowledge of the people, but the people being in lockstep with the Holy Spirit to get the job done. Because what does Psalm 127.1 tell us? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord is leading this up, you labor in vain. Then after saying this to Zerubbabel, the Lord literally says, like I said, this is an encouraging word to, to Zerubbabel. He says, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Um, so again, what the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel is, listen, no matter what situation is in front of you, no matter what's happening, this is going to get done. This temple is going to be built, and you are going to be the one that builds it. And all mountains that get in the way, they are going to be but a plain. And you're going to be able to get this job done and get this job finished. And then, you know, last week we read ahead in Ezra chapter 5 and 6. We saw that the Lord took all the obstacles out of the way, and the temple was built under that leadership of Zerubbabel. I mean, let's be honest. If, if you were with us last week as, as we're reading that, remember what was going on. Tatnai, the governor of the area beyond the river Euphrates, he's kind of figuring out, trying to figure out what in the world's going on down here. I got a bunch of people kind of complaining about this job. I got to figure out what's happening. And he wants to bring word back to Darius. So he, he asks, asks all these questions, gets everything together, goes to Darius. You have to be thinking that by the time he gets to Darius, I mean, what's the thought? Great. The government got involved. This thing's never going to get done. <laughs> They're never going to finish the second temple because you just put it in the hands of the government. This is not going to work out. But what did God say to Zerubbabel? 
Any mountain that's in front of you will be but a plain. And again, remember, this is three months after his first oracle to the people of Judah. So this is still right at the beginning of the construction and telling Zerubbabel, nothing is going to stop you, including the idiosyncrasies of your government (laughs) that is above you. They will not stop you. They will not be able to finish. They will not be able to keep this job from being done. Listen, friends, we see throughout the word of God that when men and women depend on the Holy Spirit of God in all that they do, they will be equipped to get the call of God on their lives done. When we walk in lockstep, With God, the job is going to get done. He will give the needed might and power to get that job done. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's by the Spirit. So when you have a calling of God on your life and you know what you're supposed to be doing, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's as a parent, whether it's in your job, whether it's as, you know what, I think I need to start thinking about ministry and those kinds of things. You know, whatever it is, I got big decisions to make with with family members and what we're supposed to do in this situation. Listen, it's not by your might or your power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. And then he will provide and he will equip you. Now listen, I can't guarantee you of the ease of it, like the mountain turning into a plane. That mountain turning into a plane was Zerubbabel specific, okay? We, we can't grab onto that part of the prophecy, but I can, we can guarantee that when we walk in lockstep with the Spirit, it will work. It will get finished. Now what does that look like? Listen, friends, it's simply being obedient to what God has called us to do. If you're concerned about whether or not you're following the Spirit, grab it and read it. Grab the Bible and read it and say, Lord, is this really you leading me? Is, is it, can I find agreement in the Scriptures that this is God and not some harebrained idea that I have in the back of my head? You know, we, we, I've always used the, the very easy uh, illustration of, should I kill my neighbor? Should I murder my neighbor because I'm so irritated by them? Of course not. There's lots of places in the Bible that says you should not murder. So you're good to go there. Hopefully, you don't have to go to the Word of God to figure out if you should murder your neighbor or not. But other decisions that may need to be made aren't as easy, right? Lord, what do I do? Where are you leading me to go? Should I, should I quit this job? Should I go back to school? Should I, should, I, should I stop this and start doing this? Lord, what are you calling me to do? What is that? If you're not sure if it's the Spirit or not that you're listening to, it's all found here in the Word of God. There will be a peace there. There will be an understanding. The Lord will fill you, and he will guide you in those things. So those were the dreams of Zechariah. But this section of the book is capped off with one last word from the Lord. So you have these eight different dreams, and then he wakes up and he probably tells the people, and then I don't know if it's the next day or if it's within a couple of months. We're not given a date. But in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9, we're given one more word from the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. If you don't, that's fine, but I'll read it, and hopefully I'll read it correctly and won't mislead you guys. But (laughs) Zechariah chapter 6, starting at verse 9, says this, And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from the exiles... Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. 
Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Halem, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So it seems kind of weird, but this is a physical illustration of a prophecy of Christ. He says, get these guys together, get some silver and gold from them and make this crown, like physically make a crown. And then I want you to take, I want you to take Joshua, the high priest, I want you to sit him on the throne and then I want you to put that, that crown on him. And this is what this represents. What this represents is, is a, future, a future ruling. In short, what God just stated that there is, is that there will be one person who will fill two offices, priest and king. This branch, again, that's brought up. Remember, we heard about it in another one of the dreams. This branch will be priest and king. Listen, this is very odd. This is very weird for these guys. First of all, for, for those of, of you know within the Israelite nation, within Israel, those Israelites, it's weird because where did the priests come from? The tribe of Levi specifically from the line of Aaron. Where do the kings come from? The tribe of Judah, specifically from the line of David. How are you going to make this happen, Lord? How can you make it? I mean, yeah, there's intermarrying and stuff, but that's not how that works. That's not how it is. And, and a lot of us don't understand that because we don't live in tribal living, even though there was intermarrying to an extent. Um, but there's, there's this aspect of this... The purity of this can't really happen. It's really hard to cross this. And listen, it wasn't just hard for the Israelites. This was hard for, for every nation. You know, we have to remember, we need to go back a couple thousand years here and, and understand what was going on. Listen, there, there weren't any nations that did not believe in gods. They believed in gods. They, in fact, most of them were theocratic. Like They, they kind of went with... Well, this God is in charge of us, so we're going to follow and make him happy and do all those kinds of things. However, there were two people in authority. You had the people who were in charge of the religious stuff and the temples and everything, sacrifices and whatnot. Those were your, for lack of a better word, priests. So you had the priestly office, but then you had to have somebody that had, had to run the nation, that had to run the government, that had to make sure the economy was good, that had to make sure the taxes were collected and, and everything was going on and had to, to maybe judge some stuff and figure some stuff out. Well, then you got the king and other forms of royalty. So you had these two separate offices and, and just for the sake of the fact that there's so much work in each of those offices done, a majority of nations had either one person or a group of people in charge of those two offices. They were separated. It, I mean, like we have the separation of church and state, but it's not like that. It, 
But that's the same idea. You kind of separated them because there was so much to do. We can't do both. We can't have one person doing both. This is absolutely impossible. You have to have a priest and you have to have a king. And that's how it has to work. The only way you could really make that work and for a nation to run smoothly, I mean, you'd have to be a god. Hint, hint. And this is what God is saying. I'm going to put one person, this branch with a capital B, he is going to be in charge of both offices. He is going to rule and he is going to reign over this earth. And he is going to cleanse people of their sins and make them right with me. Something that doesn't happen, that did not happen in the Old Testament. It couldn't. You had to have those two separate offices, but God was about to change it. God was about to make it different. And so he prophesies that. And then what does he tell them? Take that crown and keep it in that temple. I don't know if they lost it, but I never hear of Jesus picking up that crown that was built, that was made. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But he said that was to signify, that was to symbolize what is going to happen from this temple. It's going to spread. And what happened at Jesus' crucifixion, we talked about it last week, right? The, 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 the curtain to the Holy of Holies was torn in two. And it pretty much made that particular temple, that physical temple that these guys were built, made it erroneous. It, it was unneeded. Because now we are the, we're the new temple. We're the new temple. Now listen, from here there is a pretty decent focus on Jesus and the prophecies. A lot of this has to do with that. Excuse me, in the rest of the book of, uh, of, of Zechariah. We were told back in Ezra that the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah were to encourage the builders to get the job done. And we discussed last week again that the temple still exists and we are that temple. We are now that new temple. We just mentioned it again. As we go through Zechariah the next few weeks, I hope it encourages you to continue, to continue building on the foundation of Christ. I hope we get to get a more of an understanding of who Jesus is as we look amazingly, interestingly, at the book of Zechariah. The timing actually couldn't be better for us. First of all, we've got Easter coming up in a couple of weeks here. We've, we've been mentioning that. And listen, there's a couple of pretty major prophecies concerning what we call Holy Week happening in the book of Zechariah. And, and it's one of those things, again, where it's like, oh, the Lord kind of timed this right for us. Because like I said, I'm, I'm not much of a preparer. I, wouldn't, I didn't know this back in January. I, I don't do the, okay, this is what I want to preach about for the next year. That's, I, I don't do that. That's not me. Um, so the Lord has kind of made this happen to where, hey, look, we're, we're going to get to these specific prophecies at about the time that we're celebrating those actual events happening. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Second, though, and, and, and much more importantly, there's an argument between Jesus and the religious leaders in John chapter 8, where Jesus pretty much just ends up blasting everyone for their knowledge and, and pretty much telling them that they are the children of Satan. <laughs> Your father is the devil. <laughs> it's not Abraham. You don't know God the Father because you don't know me. And he, he, he really just blasts them. And you want to talk about, you know, stirring the pot and getting people ticked off at you. This is what Jesus did. But 
he didn't do it simply to stir the pot. He did it because it's the truth, and they needed to understand this. And he, had, he of course, had a bunch of other things that he was doing. Listen, friends, as we get closer to Easter, one verse that always floats around in my head is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I mean, that was, that was Paul's essence for living. I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know the power of that resurrection. I want to understand that more and more. Listen, friends, I don't want to be blasted by Christ if he were to physically show up here and have him say, you don't know who I am. You claim to be a born-again Christian. You claim to be a pastor, but you don't know who I am. I don't want that to happen for me. I don't want that to happen for you or you out there in Facebook land. So I want us to go through the book of Zechariah to know Christ all the more. And the first spot is there, priest and king, something that was technically impossible to do. God was going to do. God was going to take one man, his own son, and say, listen, he is going to forgive you of all your sins. He is going to cleanse you. He's going to make you holy. He's going to make you righteous. He's going to cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And at the same time, he's going to rule. He is going to reign. His enemies will be a footstool to him. Something that had never been combined before. And if it was ever truly combined, it was not successful. But God was going to make that happen. So to know Christ and to get to know him more. And we see that first glimpse today. And we'll continue to see that. You know, when, when, uh, when we were first introduced to the branch with a capital B, it was at the time when... Joshua has the dirty priestly garments on because the the priestly system had been so dishonored, had been so mucked up because of their stupidity, because of their sinfulness. God's like, listen, I'm cleansing it. I'm making it whole. I'm making it new. And we saw the fulfillment of that, right? After they built the temple at the end of Ezra chapter 6, what do they do? They practice Passover, but not until what? Until those priests were cleansed based on what they read in, in, in the law of Moses, is what it says. And God is saying, listen, this is going to happen. And so I hope this will be an encouragement for you the next couple of weeks as we get closer to Easter and even beyond Easter. It's, it, it's pretty amazing. Like I said, it covers aspects of the Holy Week, that, well, at least what we call the Holy Week, and then it, it covers an aspect of the future for us even when, when it comes to the book of Revelation. It's, it's, it, it's a pretty powerful word. So I just want to encourage you to kind of prepare your hearts. If you want to, go back, you know, when you get home today or sometime this week. Go ahead, shoot through you know, Zechariah chapter one through six and, and, and kind of see where those dreams were and, and exactly what he said and stuff, especially the one with a woman in the basket. That was, that was interesting. But um, all those different things that happen and the power that's behind them as, as, as God shows us who Christ is and as we continue to do that.